find a faithful God who is faithful all the time, who is always there. No matter what our struggles, no matter what our trials might be, there's a faithful God with us. Have you ever been in one of those situations where you need to address something? Perhaps it's in the office place or maybe even something in the church. You have to go and you have to talk to the leadership. And you have a cast of people around you going, oh, yeah, that's the right thing to do. Go on. Yep, yep. I'm with you, man. So you go to the boss to talk to the boss. Let's make it the boss. And you're sharing your concerns. And that crowd that's been cheering behind you, you turn around and you are alone. They're off in a corner somewhere with their hands in their pockets looking away like this, you know. And you're feeling all alone. You thought that you had people who would stand with you. And sometimes you find that those same people start to stand against you when they see which way the wind's blowing. Terrible place to be, isn't it? But you know, God never does that for us or to us. God is always faithful. He always stands with us. And isn't God the only one that really matters when it comes to one who stands by us and one who is faithful? That's what I've found through my life and my ministry, that knowing that God is standing with me gives me the strength to keep on keeping on. And in fact, What I find in Scripture and in experience is when I know that God is standing with me, I'm more than a conqueror. Romans chapter 8, verse 37 says this, Now in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, Neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ our Lord. Isn't that a great promise? That's the God who stands with us, making us more than conquerors. What we're going to see this morning is that God's faithfulness is our strength. That's really the theme of this eighth chapter as we look into this letter, this sermon that's recorded for us that was directed toward the exiles who had for 70 years been in Babylon. But now as a people, God miraculously brought them back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple of God. There was opposition all around them as we've been seeing going through the book of Zechariah. The nations around them hated them even more than they had before. They didn't want to see them reestablish Jerusalem. So they were facing obstacle after obstacle, difficulty after difficulty. And God was saying, in the midst of your difficulty, I am with you. But you know, this isn't just a history lesson. It's a message to us all. Many of you are going through difficulty or have recently been through difficulty, and there's a faithful God standing with you. Some of you are dreading difficulty that you're going to face 
and you're wondering, how am I going to get through this? There's a faithful God who stands with you. And he is your strength in those times of challenge, those times of difficulty. As we come to the first part of this eighth chapter, we find that the faithfulness of God provides a future for his people. Now, in the first eight verses of Zechariah, there is a promise that God loves the children of Israel. But think, the children of Israel had been exiled for 70 years. Some of them perhaps wondered, hey, is God still with us? He had promised to make us a people. He had promised to be our God, but we were faithless. There's record of prayers of repentance. There's the realization that they had gotten off mark. So perhaps some of them were wondering, well, does God still care? And should God still care? I am so thankful, aren't you, that my relationship with God rests in his faithfulness and not mine. I would mess up. I would be a disaster. If I am saved by grace, then I continue by grace in my relationship with God. And it is God's faithfulness that gives me strength, not my own effort, not my own strength. What we find at the beginning of these verses is a statement of God's love for Jerusalem, and Jerusalem, by extension, refers to the people who inhabit Jerusalem at that time, his people. Look at how Zechariah frames this. He says, verse 1, Zechariah chapter 8, And the word of the Lord Almighty came to me, and this is what the Lord Almighty says, I am very jealous for Zion. I am burning with jealousy for her. Now, when we hear the word jealousy, it's gotten such a bad connotation in our culture that we don't think about the positive aspect of jealousy. The emotion of jealousy can actually be redeemed. There's a dysfunctional aspect to jealousy that most of us think of when we think in terms of jealousy, and that is the self-oriented idea of jealousy, the one where we feel threatened and where we don't have confidence in a relationship. And so if somebody talks to somebody that we care about, we fly into a jealous rage. That's not the idea of jealousy that we find here in this text. The idea of jealousy here is that God wants to protect his relationship and his people. He is zealous for seeing to their protection and their continuation as the people of God because of his faithfulness to the covenant that he made with Abraham. God had watched his people again and again turn away from the promise that they had kept or sought with him to be his people, but they never kept the promise, really. They abandoned God again and again and again, and God was jealous for that relationship. He wanted to see his people honor that promise. God was jealous for the people because they turned to other gods God was jealous for his people because there were enemies who wanted to come in and crush 
the exiles who were to rebuild the temple of God. So when God expresses that he is zealous for Zion, Zion being the temple mound in particular, but extending to the city and to the people, God is expressing in reality his love and his deep desire to keep the people safe and going. Is God jealous for us? You ever thought about that? You ever thought about the fact that God is jealous for your affections? God is jealous for your relationship with Him. God is invested in your relationship with Him, and you should be invested in your relationship with Him as well. The jealousy of God is something that should motivate us to deepen our walk with Him, to understand that God stands with me. God is for me. The jealousy of God should move us and motivate us to love Him back and respond to the deep love that our God has for us. I think that's the takeaway. As we look at these first few verses, this jealous God is for us. But then look at the hope that God offers. God isn't just saying, hey, I want to protect you. I want to maintain a relationship with you as a people. He goes on to give us a glimpse into the plans that he has because of that jealous love that he has for us. Look at verse 3. This is what the Lord says. I will return to Zion and dwell in Jerusalem. Now the first part of this third verse reminds us that the plans for God were not just for the rebuilding of the temple. That's just a small part of what God plans for Jerusalem. His plan is to sit upon the throne of Jerusalem in a time that is yet to come. We know that when Jesus returns, this plan will be fulfilled. We will see Jesus Christ literally reigning on earth, being the king of the world, as we were reminded in the song this morning. That's just not sentiment. It's the promise of God kept by his faithfulness. So for these exiles who are working on the temple, God is saying, look far down the path. This is my plan for you as a people. This is my plan for Jerusalem. Stay busy at the work that I've called you to do. You know, I think that same concept can be directed toward us, don't you? God has given us even more glimpses into the future than the people were given here with Zechariah. God has told us that Jesus Christ is coming again and that he will establish his kingdom here on earth. And while they are there building the temple, we are building the kingdom of God with every soul that is led to Jesus Christ. 
which every per, with every person that invests in serving God, we are about the task of preparing for the kingdom of God. And we need to think in terms of our faithfulness to that call, to that task. Look at what else we find here in the third verse. God is saying, I will dwell in Jerusalem. That is when Jesus takes the throne of Jerusalem. And it goes on to say, then Jerusalem will be called the city of truth, and the mountain of the Lord Almighty will be called the holy mountain. Jerusalem is God's. Jerusalem does not belong to the Islamic people who have a mosque there at this time. Jerusalem does not get divided by politicians between various ethnic groups. That's the way it is now, but that's not the way God has Jerusalem in his plans. There is coming a time where Jerusalem will be demonstrated to be the holy city that is set apart for God's own purposes and his purposes alone. We call Jerusalem the holy land now. But that's just a figure of speech, a term that will find its fulfillment when Jesus returns. And so that's the hope that these people are offered. Look at what else we find. Look at verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Once again, men and women of ripe old age will sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with his cane in hand because of his age. The city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. Now, what does that picture to you? You know what Zechariah is saying? There will be no more terrorism There will be no more war. No one's going to have to worry about incoming missiles. Old men and women will sit along the street with cane in hand, talking to one another. Peace will reign in Jerusalem. In my 60 years, I have seen more peace talks that have for about a half a minute, been proclaimed a success for Jerusalem, and none of them last. None of them. I've become extremely cynical and skeptical when it comes to those peace talks. This is the peace that will last. When Jesus returns, establishes his kingdom on earth, there will be peace in Jerusalem. And I might add, Not until then. Not until then. There is not a political solution for what's going on, only a spiritual one. And that is realized through the rule of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 6. This is what the Lord Almighty says. It may seem marvelous to the remnant of this people at that time, but will it seem marvelous to me, declares the Lord? Now think about this group of people there in Jerusalem. God is saying this will be the center of the world. This will be where my reign takes place. This will be a place of safety. Old men 
and old women sitting along the street, children coming along and playing in the street. And the remnant is there, these exiles who had returned to Jerusalem, and they're looking around them and they're seeing rubble, piles of rocks from the very violent destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. And those rocks had laid there so long that there are weeds popping up and trees popping up. Think about what can grow in 70 years. So here they are looking at that, and their response is, well, I can't even imagine that. I mean, really? God's really going to do all of this? I love God's question. Does it seem marvelous to me? This is not tough for God. This isn't something that God is really concerned about. And you know, as I looked at this part of the passage, I started thinking about the way I view God. I sell him short. I look at things and I say, wow, there's no way God can sort this out. This is a mess. I'm defeated. I'm discouraged. What can God do here? Oh, theologically, I know the answers. But sometimes emotionally, I fall into the trap of these people thinking, wow, that's a marvelous thing to happen. I don't see how it can. God wants us to be people who view things as he does Is anything too marvelous for God? And the answer to that question is absolutely nothing. It's too hard for God. Look at verse 7. In verses 7 and 8, it says, This is what the Lord Almighty says, and I love this. I will save my people from the countries of the east and the west. I will bring them back to live in Jerusalem. They will be my people. I will be faithful and righteous to them as their God. That is God's promise to his people. God was not ready to let Israel go. And God has a plan for Israel. God is going to regather them as a people. And God is going to reign over them as their God. That's what the jealous God does. The loving God. He's for his people and he sees to their success. And I would say that is true for us as well. As we rely on God, as we look to his faithfulness, he will work his purpose and his plan through us. We can count on it. Something else we see about the faithfulness of God. God forges strong people out of defeated ones. Look at verses 9 through 13, and this is what we find. This is what the Lord Almighty says. You who now hear these words spoken by the prophets, who were there when the foundation was laid for the house of the Lord Almighty, Let your hands be strong so that the temple may be built. Now, we remember the story of what was going on. Israel had a group of some 50,000 exiles who returned to Jerusalem from Babylon. They lay the foundation of the temple, and then 
all of the critics, all of the dissenters from the nations around them came and hurled accusations and insults at them, and they stopped the work of the temple out of discouragement and fear. But here God is telling them, look, my word has come to you. I promise to see to your success. So what you need to do is let your hands be strong. Be about the work of God. Don't allow the intimidation factor to shut you down. As they respond by faith, their hands will strengthen. Their resolve will strengthen. And the work of God will be accomplished by them counting on the faithfulness of God. Fear would mean that they have discounted the faithfulness of God. But God was speaking to them directly through the prophets. So God is saying to them, you count on what I tell you, not the obstacles that you see. Look at verse 10. Before that time, there were no wages for man or beast. No one could go about his business safely because of his enemy. For I had turned every man against his neighbor. But now I will not deal with this remnant of this people as I did in the past, declares the Lord. Now what's going on here? Remember the context of this story. The people of Israel came in, laid the foundation for the temple. They caved to all of the external pressure and they stopped building the temple. What God had sent them to do, they refused to do. And instead... They started building paneled houses for themselves. For a number of years, they disregarded what God had called them to do, so God allowed them to suffer some of the consequences of that decision. But God is telling this people, that's not what I intend for you. Show the faith of being about the work that I've called you to And you will experience my faithfulness that has always been there. You know what I find? When I focus on the challenges and struggles rather than the faithfulness of God, I live in defeat. When I allow those things around me to come crushing and pressuring me out of faithfulness to God, I've lost sight of his faithfulness to me. God is calling this people back to faithfulness. He wants to forge stronger people out of these defeated people. And so that's what God is calling them to as a people. Look at verse 13 or 12. It says, The seed will grow well. The vine will yield its fruit. The ground will produce its crop. And the heavens will drop their dew. I will give all these things as an inheritance to the remnant of this people. As you have been an object of cursing among the nations, O Judah and Israel, so I will save you, and you will be a blessing. Do not be afraid, but let your hands be strong. God longs to shower these people with the promises that they had entered as followers of God. God is longing to see them respond to his faithfulness 
by being faithful themselves. I love the end of that 13th verse. Do not be afraid, but let your hands be strong. Isn't that a message to all of us? I wonder what obstacles have caused us to be afraid to not do what God has called us to do. I wonder what struggles are keeping us back from having the strong hands to accomplish the work of God. We need to heed the words that God gives through this prophet and import those principles into our lives. If you want to be strong in the work of the Lord, focus on the faithfulness of God. Not your own faithfulness, not your own performance, but the fact of God's faithfulness. Then we come to the next part of this passage. Fortitude comes from our future hope. As we look at the second half of this passage, and we're going to move much more rapidly through the second half, we find that God wants to strengthen us, and in so doing, he causes us to look to the long-term purpose that he has for us. God is reminding us that there is a future hope. And when we focus on that, we become strong right now. Look at what we find in verses 14 through 17. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Just as I had determined to bring disaster upon you and show no pity when your fathers angered me, says the Lord Almighty, so I have now determined to do good again to Jerusalem and Judah. Do not be afraid. They had seen the power of God directed toward the forefathers who were disobedient. And they had seen the destruction and the disaster that had come. So what God is saying to them is this, look, if I can do that, then I can strengthen you. And that's my desire for you to be strengthened. And long term, this is my plan for you as my people. Fear should replace or be replaced by faithful living. That's the idea. We can live in fear or we can live faithfully, counting on the faithfulness of God. So this is what the text moves into. In verse 15, it says, So now I have determined to do good. Again at Jerusalem, be not afraid. But then he lays out what faithful living looks like, starting at verse 16. So let's look at what faithful living looks like. These are the things you are to do. Speak the truth to each other. Render true and sound judgments in your courts. Do not plot evil against your neighbor. Do not love to swear falsely. I hate all this, declares the Lord. You know what faithful living does? Faithful living models the character and the nature of our faithful God. We will speak the truth. We will render true and sound judgment. We will not plot against our neighbors, and we will not swear falsely. These are the things that brought Israel to its destruction before. And so God is saying, 
I hate these things. If you trust in my faithfulness and follow me faithfully, these are the things that you're going to hate too. A faithful follower of God loves the things that God loves, and they hate the things that God hates. I wonder how many of us as believers find confusion in these things. Sometimes we buy in to what the world tells us, and we start to love the things that God hates. Sometimes we buy in so much that we even hate the things that God loves. God wants us to be faithful people, and our faithfulness isn't just something that we speak. It's something that we live. And so what Zechariah is telling these people is this, your life will reflect your faithfulness to God. Be faithful. Live faithfully. Something else, and this is very encouraging. Fasting will be replaced by feasting. Now, I probably shouldn't have put a picture of food on a plate this close to lunch, (laughs) but it illustrates something. When Jesus returns and sets things right, all of the fasting that has gone on because of sin and because of a desire to repent from that sin and to start living right before God, that was what the fasting was. It's mentioned here in the 18th verse. Look at what it says. Again, the word of the Lord Almighty came to me, and this is what the Lord Almighty says. The fast of the fourth, fifth, seventh, and tenth months will become joyful and glad occasions and happy festivals for Judah. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. God has a plan when Jesus reigns where all of those feasts that had been implemented because of their exile, all of those fasts will now become feasts. They will celebrate the faithfulness of God. What a blessing this is. What a wonderful hope. Last part of the text. Foreigners will seek the Lord and his people. Look at verses 20 through 23. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Many peoples and the inhabitants of many cities will yet come. And the inhabitants of one city will go to another and say, Let us go to entreat the Lord and seek the Lord Almighty. I myself am going. And many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord Almighty and to entreat him. Now I want you to think about what this is saying. When we think about the world religions, this pie chart gives us a picture of where these world religions stand. And I want you to look at the blue part there that says Protestants, 5.78%. We have a sliver of the pie. And even those Protestants would include denominations and individuals who don't hold to the Scripture being the Word of God. We have a sliver of the pie. That gives us an image of how our work is cut out for us in building the kingdom. 
But I would like to point out to you that this will be a different pie when Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom on earth. When Jesus returns, that pie is going to be whole. All of these various people groups will instead turn to Jesus, the ruler of the world. They will fall down at his knees and worship him. They will say, let us go at once to entreat the Lord Almighty. I'm going, why don't you come with me? That's the idea. But then look at verse 23 as far as this promise to Israel. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In those days, ten men from all languages and nations will take firm hold on one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, let us go with you because we have heard that God is with you. When we look at how people view, and by the way, the sliver of Jews is that minuscule light blue between other religions and Buddhists. The world will take a hold of the hem, and ten people will take hold of the hem of one Jew and say, we've heard that God is with you. Take us to go see him. God has changes for Israel. He has a future hope and plan for Israel. And it's not because of Israel's faithfulness, my goodness, no. When we read the Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, we can see where they left God. But you know what we also see? God has not left them. He is faithful. He has a purpose and a plan. He will fulfill his commitment to Abraham, his covenant with him. The Messiah will come will reign on planet earth. He will bring peace. He will bring strength. He will be our God. And people will see him for who he is. If you've felt discouraged, frightened by the things that go on all around us, remember God has a purpose and a plan revealed right in his word. Though it looks bleak at this time, and perhaps will get bleaker, God wins. And his purpose will prevail. Let's pray.